0: Well, good morning. It's good to see you. Glad you could be with us this morning. Glad you could join us. If you're online, thank you so much for taking the opportunity to uh, join us and worship with us. And as we open God's Word together, while you're whether you're in person or online, we want to say welcome to you. Want to draw your attention to a few things uh, before we begin. Uh, number one, um, uh, two weeks from today, August 23rd, uh, we are going to be having a membership meeting for Ignite um, in Screen One following uh, the second service. We're just going to be giving an update of kind of where we're at uh, in the middle of, uh, you know, we started out the year with plans and, and, uh, and then COVID happened. And so we've made some adjustments and been walking through those things. And so really the 23rd is, a, is a, uh, an update meeting. So if you want to know more about that, especially you know the members of Ignite, um, you're welcome to and invited to and encouraged to attend um, at that. Time also um, before we begin, um, I want you to know that uh, we we do uh, touchless, uh, you know, not having a lot of contact. And so one of the things that we're trying to do is how we communicate with each other, and the, one of it is, is how we uh, connect through our connection card. And really, what we're doing now is we have a service that we can text in church, and and so whether you're online or you're here, um, this number two one eight three seven seven five seven eight seven. You can put that into your phone in your contacts. You'd be like ignite connect or whatever you want want to do. Um, But that's how we gather prayer requests. If somebody wants to know more about Jesus, uh, how you take your next steps, all those kinds of things. So please um, put that in your phone as we, uh, how we figure out how to interact in in all these things. That's going to be really, really, really helpful uh, for you to have that as a resource. And especially even at the end of the service today, um, you're going to have an opportunity to respond and and, uh, how that all works. And so that's where we're going uh, with that. We are um, continuing our sermon series in the book of Psalms. Uh, Psalms is the prayer book of God's people. And so what's really great is if 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 your prayer life feels dry or you feel like you're saying the same things over and over again, I know I feel like that at times, I go to the book of Psalms and I read those Psalms, but then I start to pray those Psalms. I start to look at going, let that inform my prayers to God and it enriches and deepens my prayer life. And so it becomes the prayer book of God's people. And what we've seen, is that there's all different kinds of prayers, there's all different kinds of psalms written. So there's psalms of thanksgiving, there's psalms of praise, there's psalms of lament. Last week we talked about the imprecatory psalms, the, the cry for justice and the wrongs in the world, right? There's, there's that, and what I love about the psalms and what I love about the scriptures is that it doesn't shy away from difficult things, Okay, the Bible does not shy away from difficult subjects, difficult topics, and we get to wrestle through these things and we find out what God has to say on them. We get God's opinion, we get God's word uh, implanted in us when we, when we go through the difficult things of life. And Psalms covers the whole gamut. And last week, like I said, we saw like, we saw like these cries for justice. When we see wrong in the world, we cry out for justice and we cry out for God to do something in the world, right? So when we look out into the world and we see the wrongs in the world, we can cry out for justice in Christ, right? We talked about that. Those are the imprecatory Psalms. We, when we see the wrong outside of us. But what happens when the wrong in the world and the wrong in your life Has been caused by you. What happens when we can look outside, we can look into the injustice, we can look at all those things, but what happens when we understand that the problem is us? When we understand that it is our sin that has caused us to be in this predicament? When the house of our life has burned to the ground and we are the ones that caused the fire? Okay, what happens with that? And that's what we're gonna be talking about today. We're gonna be talking about Psalms of Repentance. Psalms of Repentance. To, to repent of something is to turn the other way. It's to, it's to change directions, or it's to change your mind, or it's to change your life. What happens when you understand that the sin that you've committed, you want to turn away from that to lead towards life change, to lead towards the, a different way in the way you were thinking? I had a interesting uh, repentance moment last week. I was going out to Glendalow State Park, which is east of here, and I knew the way, or I thought I did. And I I went, and I kept driving, and then we're driving along, and and all of a sudden we get to the town of Henning, and past that, and my wife is like, you sure you know where you're going? I'm like, babe, I got this, all right? It's, we're fine. And then I realized we weren't fine. Right? I, had to, I had to change my mind, I had to change the way that I was thinking, and I realized that I overshot my turn by about eh, 20 miles, okay? So, in case you were wondering how far I got off track, um, so I literally had to physically repent. I had to turn the car around, I had to change my mind that I knew that I was right, and I had to admit that I was wrong, and then I had to apologize to my family for eating up 40 extra minutes when we could have been at the lake, Right? And in, in that sense, I repented. What happens when, when it's a spiritual thing, when it's, when it's something that, that you realize, I need, I have sinned. When we repent of sin, the sorrow that leads to life change. And so what we're going to see today with repentance is this. Repentance is the pain that heals. Repentance is the pain that heals. Repentance is a difficult thing. Repentance is a painful thing. But when we do, we have healing. And today we're going to be, um, we're going to see that this psalm that we're going to be talking about today was written by King David. King David has written a lot of psalms, and we've talked a lot about a lot of them. Um, but this one's interesting in that that David, he's at the height of his success, and when he's supposed to go out. with the the other soldiers for war, he decides he's going to stay back. He's going to play it safe. And when he's back, he notices a woman bathing, and he really likes her. Even though he's got um, multiple wives, um, he, uh, he says, I want that one. Who is she? And he said, well, that woman is married to Uriah. Uriah is one of your soldiers. And he says, I don't care. I want her. And so he invites her in, she comes into his place, and they have this illicit affair. And then Bathsheba, the woman, uh, Bathsheba says, hey David, we got a problem. I'm pregnant, and my husband's been away to war. And so David says, okay, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to invite Uriah home off the battlefield. I'll bring him, I'll give him furlough, right? We'll give him leave. He'll go home. He'll be with his wife. Then he'll go back to war, and people go, hey, she's pregnant. No one's the wiser. But Uriah comes home, and Uriah is a good and faithful man, and he says, you know what? I, I love my land. I love my country. I love the king. I love my fellow comrades. I'm not going to go and be comforted by my wife and be connected to my wife when all of my fellow brothers in arms are out fighting the battle. So he sleeps on his doorstep. He won't even go into his house. And David's like, okay, we got a real problem. He's not with his wife, and he knows that. And he's refusing, and I can't tell him to do anything, so what am I going to do? And so what he does is he concocts this plan, and he writes it down, and he writes it in a scroll, and he hands it to Uriah, and he says, don't open this. Go give it to your general. He'll know what to do. And so Uriah takes his, these orders and brings it to his general, and he opens it up, and here's the plan. He says, take the army and bring it to a place where there's heavy battle. Put Uriah on the front lines, and when the battle gets fierce, everyone stand back from Uriah, and he will be struck down. Uriah carried his own death sentence with him, and he didn't even know it. And that's exactly what happens in that moment. And then David goes, oh, it's so sad that Uriah died. Well, here, let me come comfort his wife and invite him into my home and make her my wife because I want to take care of things. So he looks like this benevolent person in the middle of all of it and he thinks he's gotten away with it until the prophet Nathan comes and explains to him and calls him out he says you god knows what you did i know what you did and in this moment david has an option he can either pretend like it didn't happen he could kill the prophet nathan or he could repent and that's exactly what David does. He repents. And we see his, uh, his song of repentance in Psalm 51. And that's where we're going to find ourselves today. We're going to be in Psalm 51, starting in verse 1. And what we're going to see about repentance is this, is that repentance takes responsibility. It says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. David is confronted with his sin horrible things. And the only thing he does is he says this. He says, God have mercy on me. It's the only thing he can do. He just asks for God's mercy. He takes responsibility. Listen, he doesn't minimize his sin. He doesn't say, well, it wasn't as bad, and I know other people who sin worse. He didn't rationalize it. He didn't say, God, you know, well, you know, I just... I'm a guy. What do you do, right? He doesn't justify it. He doesn't say, you know what? I'm the king. You've put me in charge of this. I'm caring for my people the way that I see fit. He doesn't do any of those things. He doesn't minimize it. He doesn't rationalize it, and he doesn't justify it, which is all the things that we want to do with our own sin. Instead, he takes responsibility. He says, I have sinned. It is ever before me. I know the wrong that I've done, and I understand God that I have not only sinned against people, and I've not only sinned against Uriah. I have sinned against you. His his the ultimate sin. Every sin is against God. Okay, every sin is against God. You're breaking God's commands. They might be you might be sinning against other people as well, but ultimately you're sinning against God. You have an issue with God when you sin, and when I sin, I have an issue. With God, and so David, David does this, and also David doesn't blame God. Well, you made me like this. He doesn't do that. He doesn't say, "I have these desires. I have. I'm a. I'm a risk taker." God, you know that. He doesn't blame God for anything. He admits his sin and he takes responsibility for his actions and says, "I have sinned. I am broken. All." I can ask for is mercy. I, I can't demand anything from you, God. And so if we're going to, the first step in repentance is taking responsibility to understand that I have sinned. It is my fault and I'm not going to make any excuses. That's the first step of repentance. Interestingly enough, in our recovery ministries in the world, step one is admitting you have a problem. It's based in the scriptures. Step one is we have to admit it and take responsibility, and that we're powerless to make it right. We need intervention. Let's jump down a little bit and see that not only does it require responsibility, but it requires humility, verses 7 through 9. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Interestingly, hyssop is a branch, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a plant, and this was, the one, this was the branch, they used branches of hyssop to dip them in blood and put them over the post for Passover. It's the idea of, of having uh, God look over. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. There was a, a scientific study years ago where they were talking, they were like doing a study on shame and guilt. And what they did is they would have people come in and um and they would admit or they would confess to something that they did wrong, okay? They would, to a complete stranger, they would confess a sin. But what they also did is they would have um, wet wipes and they would have like hand sanitizer and other things, towels on the, on the table around them. And they just had them there. And what they found is that the vast majority of the time when people would confess their sins, after they would confess their sins, they would involuntarily wash their hands. It's really fascinating, there's something about us that we understand that when we confess a sin, that there's, that there's dirtiness. There's defilement. there's that I need to get clean. And so they would wash their hands. It's, it's, it's what we see in this is that when we sin, there's this mark on us. There's this uncleanliness, and we need to be clean. And David said, like, God, cleanse me, clean me, purge me, wash me. I just... I just need I need to get clean of this. And what's interesting is David understands that he cannot clean himself up. He can't clean himself up. Have you ever tried? You ever tried to do just enough good things to to counteract the bad things? Have you ever tried to make it right? but understanding that there's something going on in your soul that just feels dirty and needs to be cleaned, it needs to be cleansed. There isn't enough good things in the world that you can do to make yourself feel clean. And so David says, I can't clean myself. I can't clean myself up. That's what people tell me when I invite them to church, I have friends who, you know, people that I know, I'm trying to invite them to church. Well, I can't until I get myself cleaned up. It's like, dude, then you're never coming to church. And none of us are. It's not the point of coming to Jesus is that we have to clean ourselves up first. That's the exact opposite of what we're supposed to do and what God calls of us. But he says, wash me, cleanse me. Help me, Lord. Help me, help me just get through this. I, I, I want to be clean. And then here's the other thing. I want to hear joy again. I want to hear gladness again. Let these bones that you have broken rejoice. This idea that, that our bones are weakened by sin And that the weight of righteousness in our presence just crushes us. And he says, I've been broken by your holiness. I've been broken by my own sin. But what has been broken, I want to rejoice. In the middle of his repentant prayer, he says, God, I want to hear joy again. I want to hear gladness again. And these bones that you have broken, I want these broken bones to rejoice. It says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. There's a song that came out in the 90s that, that, that really just quote, it quotes these things. And it says, "You know, Create in me a clean heart of God and renew a right spirit with me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. These are the words of a man who has been humbled. He's not trying to hide anything. In fact, he's kind of asking God to do that. Blot out my iniquities, right? Hide your face from my sins. He's like, God, I don't want, these things are ever before me. I want you to deal with them and I need you to clean, cleanse me and I want you to just take care of it. I want you to take care of it. Do you understand that the part of repentance is, is having the humility to understand that you are powerless to make yourself clean and good enough and right enough and that it needs to be done by something or someone other than you. And this is something that only God can do. It talks about forgiveness and restoration and renewal God is the one who's doing the heavy lifting. God is the one who's going to do the heavy lifting in this. We get ourselves into the thick of it. And God's the only one who can get us out. And so what happens, what do you do when you find yourself in this hole? Stop digging and cry out for help. That's what David did. And we can too. And so it's about taking responsibility and it's about being humble. And these things, we have to understand that repentance is only repentance if it is genuine. Repentance requires change, not lip service, okay? Repentance is not only saying you're sorry and admitting you're wrong. It's about going, and I don't wanna do that anymore and I need change and I need help. That's that's the genuineness of this, and we see this in verses 16 and 17. He talks of God. He says, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. God can see the condition of your heart. God knows your motives. God knows your thoughts. And he knows when you're genuine. That's the beauty of this. When, when, when we come to God, we say, God, you know me. You see everything. Man looks at the outer appearances, but God looks at the heart and he says, listen, you know how broken I am. You know how sorry I am. You know that I'm not hiding anything. You know that I'm not, that I'm not trying to shirk my responsibility in this. You know I'm accepting what I've done is sin, and I'm asking you for mercy. Regardless of what anybody else says, by the way. Some people might not think you're sorry enough. Others might look at you and go, yeah, whatever. I don't believe it. They can't see your heart. God can. And God's decision is the one that matters. And so we come to God, and He's not interested in sacrifice. Where the heart is far from God. He's not interested in that. Listen, you cannot bribe God. Don't try. it's super offensive to him. It makes him angry. He hates bribery with a passion. multiple times throughout the scripture, it says, "Don't don't give a bribe and don't accept a bribe. How do we bribe God? Well, we say, "I sin, but you know what? God? I'm going to go to church. I'm gonna read my Bible and I'm gonna help the poor, and then you have to forgive me. That's how this is gonna work, God. See, here's the thing. I know what I did was wrong. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so I'll give some lip service to that. Okay, yep, wrong. I'm gonna I'm gonna pay some restitution, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that, and then you have to forgive me. And God's like, what? You think this is how this works? Don't bribe God with your good works. Don't even try. God doesn't delight in those things. What does God delight in? What's the sacrifice of repentance? A broken heart, a contrite heart, a heart that says, I'm sorry. These are the things that God delights in, delights in. He delights in when people understand that, yes, what I did was wrong, and I don't want to do it anymore, God, and, and God, I'm just broken over this, and I don't want to do it. It's just painful to admit it, but I have to admit it because there's no other place I can go. And God does not despise a broken heart. When we come to God and we're broken over our sin, when we understand that the problem is us, and we come to him and we admit that, God doesn't despise that. God doesn't reject us for that. God doesn't go, I can't believe you did that. Ugh. This is the sacrifice that God wants. He's like, yes, come to me broken. Come to me with your broken heart. Come to me with all your pain. I delight in the sacrifice of a broken heart. God doesn't despise us when we come to him broken. God doesn't reject us. In fact, it says he's near the brokenhearted. And he binds up the brokenhearted. Repentance isn't just about like saying you're sorry and wrong and that you should feel bad for eternity. That's not what repentance is. Repentance is admitting that we are the problem and going to the source of healing. Repenting means you're not going to run to all that other stuff that you're using to medicate your pain. Drugs and alcohol, sure. But what about eating? What about your work? What about binging Netflix for days on end just so that you can numb the pain? What other things do we medicate ourselves with? And we're putting a band-aid on something when we could have healing, and the, but the healing requires us to admit that what we did was wrong and we turn to Jesus. And that's painful. It was painful for David to admit this. It was painful for him to take responsibility. It was painful for all these things, but this is what brought him closer to God. And God says, this is what I want. I don't need you to try to impress me. I want you to come to me and tell me that you're broken and admit that. And God will come near us because he's near the brokenhearted. He delights in it because God is the one that can make it whole. Repentance is painful, yes, but repentance is the pain that heals. Repentance is the pain that heals. And maybe you're here today, and maybe you're watching today, and maybe you're like, but I can't forgive myself. Maybe God could forgive me, but I can't forgive myself. And I got to ask, are you talking about forgiveness, or are you talking about restitution? Are you saying, I just got to do enough right stuff, and then I can see myself as something other than worthless? That's shame, by the way. Guilt is I did something bad, shame is I am something bad. And you can't work your way out of shame. You can't work your way out of shame. You can only heal your way out of shame. We recover from shame through healing, not through work. And so if you're sitting here and you're like, I can't forgive myself. What are you trying to do to show the world and your heart and God that somehow you're worthy of love? This may be one of the most important sermons I will ever give. What are you trying to do to prove to yourself and to God, and to whoever else, that you're worth something. Stop trying. Because there's no, there's no, there's, you, you never know when you make it. Because even if other people give you approval, you're like, yeah, but if they really knew this about me, then they'd reject me. If you really knew this about, and how do I know so much about this? Because I've struggled with it. When are you ever going to be good enough? God says, it's not about being good enough. It's about turning to me. That's what I want. Let God heal you and heal you of the lie that somehow you have to prove yourself to him. Even in your brokenness, don't try to rationalize it. Don't try to justify it. And don't try to be like, yeah, but God, I'm going to do, I'm going to. God's like, just let me heal you. Because repentance is the pain that heals. You're like, how do I know this is true? The cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus Jesus is God in the flesh. And here's the amazing thing about Jesus. Jesus lived this life perfectly. He lived a life that you and I cannot live. We sin, we mess up, we screw up, we have wrong motives. Jesus was pure in his motives and his actions, his words and his thoughts. Lived this life perfectly. And in his perfectness, went to the cross and died the death that you and I deserve. He went in our place. Now, some of you are like, wow, he paid for that. That's that's incredible. But that almost makes me feel worse sometimes where you're like, wow, someone else had to pay for that, and he died in my place. But the story doesn't end there. He lived the life that we cannot live. He died the death that you and I deserve, and he rose from the dead to show that he had conquered death itself, and he gives new life to all who would believe in him. So when we repent and we turn to God, he accepts our sin, he's taken it upon himself, and he has risen from the dead to show that we can have new life in him. We are new creations. We are, we are dealt with in Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53, a prophecy about Jesus that says, by his wounds we are healed. And my life verse, Romans 8, 1 there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I preach that to myself daily. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Why? Because Jesus was condemned for us. Took the whole payment and then rose from the dead, giving new life. And so when we repent... We say, this is my old self. This is all my junk. This is all my garbage. This is all my sin. Wash me, God. And he says, I can do that. And through the blood of Jesus Christ, we are made right. And so go to Jesus. Don't try to work it off yourself. Be cleansed. Be restored. Be purged. Be renewed. Let your broken bones rejoice in the goodness of God. And remember, the forgiveness of God is determined by His character, not your actions. The forgiveness of God is based on Him, not you. Could God forgive all the stuff that you have done? He forgave David. He can forgive you. Let's turn to him. Let's repent. Because repentance is the pain that heals. Let's pray. And I just want to take an extra moment in this prayer of quiet and stillness before God so that you would have time to repent and I would have time Lord God, most holy and righteous God, perfect in all of your ways, we come to you and we confess our sins. The many that were brought up in silent prayers to you that you hear every word. And God, I I thank you for hearing our prayers. And I thank you for when you hear the ugliness that you don't ever cast us out. In fact, you delight in the brokenness because that's where the healing begins. So Lord, cleanse us, wash us, purge us. Create in us a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within us. And for those in this room and watching this that are coming and and doing this for the very first time and this is scary because they don't know what's happening, Lord, I pray that you be their comfort, that you would come near to them, that you would delight in this sacrifice of the broken heart. And it's a matter of trusting you that the work of Jesus Christ is enough, enough for us to be made right with you. And that we don't live under condemnation of our sin. We move forward in newness of life because you are the one who has forgiven us. You are the one who does not count our sins against us. And no matter what the narrative in our head is and no matter what anybody else says and no matter what our accuser Satan tries to put into our minds, we know that your word is true and that you never lie. Thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness and your mercy. In Jesus' name.